my parents are from Nigeria. And so actually I like to tell this story because I think it really kind of pinpoints how I came to be. And so Nigeria, there's a really strong belief that the meaning of one's names manifests in their life. So, you know, they use exquisite care in picking people's names. I actually have 10 Yoruba middle names and Yoruba is the ethnic tribe I belong to. One of my middle names is Enitong, which actually means uh, like lover of stories or storytellers. This is the Visible Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. Before we get started, here's a word about the podcast, The L Word. Doctors and Litigation, The L Word, is a self-contained podcast curriculum that uses interviews and storytelling to give you the practical and psychological preparation required to survive and even thrive during and after medical malpractice litigation. Hi, listeners. Thank you so much for joining. Today's episode is one where we discuss a documentary film. The title, Black Motherhood Through the Lens. And I have both the filmmaker, creator, producer, as well as a subject matter expert on motherhood. Dr. Komal Bajaj is a friend. She is a quality and safety officer in New York City. Specifically, she's the chief quality officer of the New York City Health and Hospitals, Jacoby. She's a professor of obstetrics gynecology at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Most interestingly, she was appointed to the AHRQ National Advisory Committee. What is this? Well, it's a 20-member board that advises the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the AHRQ Director on priorities for a national health service research agenda, or as we say in Rhode Island, agenda. <laughs> Dr. Ade Asanubi is many things. She is a documentary filmmaker a portrait photographer, and an emergency medicine physician. She just completed undergraduate studies and medical school at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. She's now joined me here in Philadelphia, where she will do her residency in emergency medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Truth be told, she made her first documentary film at the age of 16, when she traveled with one of her high school classmates to Ethiopia. Since then, she's produced other education film work, such as, well, on topics of COVID-19 vaccination and postpartum pelvic floor conditions. Let's get to the conversation where Ade is giving us a primer on the film Black Motherhood Through the Lens. Black Motherhood Through the Lens is about four Black women's experiences in navigating the reproductive health care system. Specific topics that it covers includes childbirth, infertility, and postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. Although there's been a lot of media attention about the Black maternal mortality crisis, there hasn't been much awareness raised about other reproductive disparities impacting Black women when it comes to infertility and postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. For example, statistics show that Black women may be two times more likely to experience infertility and two times more likely to experience postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. So Black Motherhood Through the Lens aims to shed light on those issues, although it's not able to cover all issues. It's there to begin the conversation. Perfect. I, I think the, the audience who's listening now, interest is peaked. Uh, you aptly, and I wanted to use that word right there, aptly describe this as a crisis. Kamal, what is your perspective being a practicing OBGYN in New York City and following safety? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, the fact is, is that maternal mortality and uh, Ade, as you mentioned, really um, sort of the care of all birthing persons, whether it's 
trying to become a birthing person during their pregnancy or after delivery. I mean, we really have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, it sort of is a gut punch as an OBGYN, as a health and a healthcare quality leader that, um, you know, uh, our rates of, of maternal mortality, and I might add severe maternal morbidity um, for every unfortunate maternal death, there are approximately 70 severe outcomes that really will impact the lives of, you know, birthing persons and their uh, families uh, going forward. You know, um, the severe maternal morbidity uh, and mortality numbers, especially in persons of color, are just unacceptably too high. Um, and we have to think differently about how we approach uh, improvement and caring for birthing persons. For the audience that may not be as medically familiar, can you be specific about those morbidities? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think you so beautifully highlighted, both of you, that uh, oftentimes the emergency settings or, you know, um, urgent cares, other sort of, um, you know, uh, places where people will interface with the healthcare system, uh, will see all sorts of uh, conditions such as high blood pressure. Um, such as infections, um, such as blood clots. Um, another common uh, cause of severe maternal morbidity and mortality is uh, bleeding or obstetric hemorrhage. And so all of those conditions can manifest in different ways, uh, early in pregnancy, um, you know, during pregnancy or at the time of birth. Um, and so, you know, practitioners... Uh, of all sorts, understanding those different manifestations uh, is crucial for us to be able to, you know, intervene um, and uh, treat these diseases before uh, they become very severe. Yeah. You mentioned gut punch, and I recall uh, the gut punch I felt when I read and heard on the news about Dr. Shanice Wallace, who was a pediatric chief resident in Indiana and two days after she delivered her baby, uh, she died. And that, for me, highlighted uh, the crisis. And I think for people that don't think there's differential treatment, there's differential access, even someone who is a leader in training as a physician in a major city at a quaternary tertiary medical center, um, had quite a bad outcome. And, you know, the focus isn't going to be to go to those details, but it was devastating and uh, a complete gut punch uh, in particular for me. Um, back to the film, uh, Ade, I, um, there's so many pieces to dissect. I'm going to outline for the audience, uh, you focus on four women. And as you already said, four specific aspects of motherhood, infertility, postpartum depression, uh, IVF fertility, and then materni maternal mortality. Uh, can you walk us through, introduce us to your four characters? Yes. So Black Motherhood Through the Lens would, of course, not be what it was without the vulnerability and bravery of the four women in the film. Uh, that is Dr. Ijama Kola, Shannon Benjamin, Shaley Co Shailene Costa, and Jamie Potter Rutledge. And so the film first starts off with Dr. Ujoma Kola's experience with infertility and early miscarriage. And she talks a lot about her experience 
navigating infertility as someone who was actually 28 years old at the time and navigating various taboos um, associated with infertility, especially in Black and African-American communities. Um, there's a lot of social stigma attached to infertility and expectations about Black women when it comes to fertility. You know, some people think that Black women can be hyperfertile, that it's very easy to get pregnant. But actually, as I said earlier, statistics show that Black women may be two times more likely to experience infertility. So having to navigate that makes it all the more challenging, um, you know, with that personal experience. After that um, is Jamie Potter Rutledge and her experience with postpartum depression um, and anxiety. She talks about her experience, you know, fearing that her child would succumb to SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. And her path to actually receiving help included uh, going to a partial day program and then also being on medication for her postpartum depression and anxiety. But she mm -hmm. talks about the struggle that it was for her to be open about those treatments with her family and her community. And then after that is Shailene Costa's experience. She also talks about her experience with infertility, but more so on the access to care lens. Uh, she did not have insurance at the time when she was going through infertility. And she talks about, you know, not being able to have IVF because the average cost of IVF is between ten dollars to $15,000. And when you don't have insurance and you don't have disposable income, that is not an option for you. So luckily, she got free samples of particular medications that helped with her, her fertility from her um, physician, and she was able to give birth to two of her children. Um, but she talks about that experience as being challenging, but it also fueled her decision to becoming a full-spectrum doula. So she was able to turn that experience into something good. And then lastly, we have Shannon Benjamin. I actually met her when she was eight months pregnant. And she talks about her fears uh, actually going into giving birth, worried that people wouldn't take her concern seriously, you know, hearing about those harrowing Black maternal mortality statistics. Luckily, she had a really positive birthing experience. She had a pretty diverse care team. And she says that the nurses who took care of her um, did a great job. And so her story really goes to show that the importance of having a diverse care team and just the importance of having a care team that is committed to ameliorating and eradicating these reproductive health care disparities. Como, how authentic were these stories to you and what you see in the patient care environment? You know, as I saw the film, you know, uh, I was picturing my own patients, um, you know, um, so much of their stories, pieces of their stories, the the challenges accessing the system, um, you know, sort of the ways people were treated within the system, so many of their stories resonated with, you know, stories that I've heard from my patients. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, um, race is not a biological category that produces health disparities due to sort of genetic differences. It's a sociopolitical sort of phenotype, really, um, that supports the continuation of structural racism. And so, you know, thinking about race is not the risk factor for inequitable disease outcomes, but rather racism is. Um, and it's explicit and it can be insidious. And I think that, you know, the stories beautifully highlighted both the challenges that individuals face within the health system and also their triumphs. Um, and so it resonated very deeply with me. Yeah. I'm so glad you highlighted that. And I think that's the part for people, um, external to healthcare who don't uh, work in the field, um, who haven't necessarily had the interface with healthcare, even as a patient, they don't quite understand it. They're like, how can that be? How can that be? 
Uh, and it is, it is. And not only does the film show this, um, but the data does as well. Ade, I'm interested in the way you filmed the documentary. Um, my observation, and Komal, you're up next with your observations. You focused a lot on um, close-ups on the person, the face, the emotion, um, their speaking. Like when they were speaking, it was very much on them. Can you speak a little bit about your approach to, to creating the film? That is a great question because for me, when I created this film, I wanted to be very intentional and elevating specifically the voices of Black women and Black birthing people in the United States. And so I actually appreciate that observation because it was intentional. And then also in terms of my, just my creative ways of doing things, I am a portrait photographer. So I really love closer up shots of people. And so that translates to film as well, and also just translated to the mission. So the audience may not know this, but uh, in my reading, I understand that you were influenced by the Magic Treehouse and stories from the Magic Treehouse. So storytelling has been woven, not just in your background, but also in some of your childhood experiences. And you've had experience before creating a film, specifically, I believe you were 16 when you created a film um, when you were doing work in Ethiopia. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and about the Magic Treehouse? Yes. So I actually wrote about this in my personal statement for residency. Uh, but for me, when growing up, I really liked various chapter books, as we call them. I haven't heard that term in so long. But I really loved the Magic Treehouse series. And so I really I do recall going to the public library uh, where I grew up, checking out a huge stack of books and bringing them home and finishing them and basically rinse and repeating that. And so I think that's truly where my love of books, storytelling evolved. And for me, in high school, I actually did produce a documentary with a friend uh, about women's experiences with obstetric fistula. For those of you who are not familiar, obstetric fistula is a birth injury that can be caused by various things. But um, in developing nations, it's oftentimes caused by prolonged and obstructed labor. It happens in the United States, but it's oftentimes repaired very quickly. But in areas where, you know, don't necessarily have as much skilled obstetrical care, women can, or people with obstetric fistula can leak their urine and waste, and it can be a very socially stigmatizing condition. So for me, when my friend and I heard about this condition in high school, we were motivated to address it. Um, and we actually volunteered at an obstetric fistula rehabilitation center in Mekele, Ethiopia, which is in Northern Ethiopia. And they focus on not the surgical repair. Um, they take women after they've gone through some type of physical treatment, but they're focused on the psychosocial aspects because still women are ostracized from their communities. Oftentimes their partners leave them, et cetera. Their families abandon them. So working on empowering women with obstetric fistula. So we created a documentary to raise awareness about the importance of the uh, psychosocial rehabilitation of women with that condition. And so through that experience, it really showed me the power of photography and film in communicating health information and also as you know being means of health advocacy so that truly did start my journey in that area and really influenced my work with black motherhood through the lens 
So Ade, first I just have to say I, I had a smile sort of ear to ear when I heard you say the word chapter books. Uh, as the mom of sort of third grade, grade twins, Magic Treehouse is very much sort of part of our universe right now. Um, and it just, you know, sort of goes to show where inspiration may come from. So it was wonderful to hear that. And certainly medical books have a lot more chapters. And and so, you know, Risa, in, in thinking about your question as it relates to sort of um, camera angles and, and sort of um, screenshots and how um, sort of the stories were told and, and the visuals. I, I have to say, when I was watching the film, what I was thinking was, this feels so personal. Uh, I, I, and I, I feel like I'm hearing them loud and clear, each of these four women. And when we think about these topics of, you know, uh, women's health, people talking about their infertility journey, their um, concerns about, um, you know, being harmed during birth um, or depression postpartum, these are very intimate topics. And I think that, um, Ade, the way that you um, filmed uh, the, the, the documentary really allowed to capture that intimacy. When we meet Dr. Cola, she speaks about how um, she's really sad and trying very hard to conceive. And uh, the physician with whom she's hearing news of not being pregnant takes a break, takes a phone call, gets news of his addition to his family as a grandfather gets off, says, oh, sorry, I had to take that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a grandfather again. And then goes right back into sort of um, robot mode of, you know, giving her news that was quite sad on her end uh, or disappointing at the time. Another aspect of callousness that struck me was when, was when uh, Shailene Costa was sharing her experience. She had a very clear birth plan about what she wanted, what she didn't want. And she had to say no to Pitocin, which is a medicine, uh, six times. You know, she kept saying no. She kept saying no. And finally, she just relented because she was so tired of saying no. And they basically gave her a medicine that she had expressed she didn't want, and she was still administered it. You know, for people who are like, that's incredulous. Like, that can't happen. How does that happen? First of all, at a, how was that for you to hear that, knowing that you were pursuing medicine as a profession? And come on, like, reality check. Does that happen? It was really disheartening to hear. I think my role as a medical student in creating this film was very interesting because, you know, I wasn't quite, you know, I was kind of living like best of both worlds in a way. Right. Um, and I wasn't necessarily quite at the doctor level. Um, and I had some type of understanding more so than like the average person about like the terms that they're talking about and those experiences. I would say that, you know, just increased media attention about the shortcomings of medicine in all aspects of, are of course, disheartening to hear. Uh, no system is perfect. And there's a lot of work to be done. And for example, the COVID-19 pandemic really unearthed a lot of things. So I would say it is it is hard, especially, you know, being a new physician, you know, a week and a half ago. But at the same time, it's really heartwarming to see other people, other colleagues and speak to physicians like you both who care, um, who care to speak about these issues, who care to be informed or, and who are doing the work, right? It would be even more disheartening if no one cared or no one was doing that work. But I'm visibly seeing that across multiple parties. And there's a whole new generation of physicians who are not taking things and they're not just being like, oh, it's a status quo. We're going to 
allow this to happen. You know, they're really advocating for themselves. And so I at least have some type of confidence that, you know, there are people out there who are trying to make that change. Um, but again, it's it's challenging because a lot of this is institutional. And so although there might be individual folks on the ground doing great work, um, you know, it really also boils down to the system at large. Uh, so. Ade, I also share your um, uh, enthusiasm or hope for the future of healthcare, because at the end of the day, right, if we think about sort of the depth and breadth of medicine, there are so many amazing things that happen, right, where organs from one person can be put in another and that individual can be healthy again, right? The miracle of birth itself and the treatments for infertility are just mind boggling if we think about it. And yet at the same time, while we have these sort of amazing things ongoing in healthcare, we really have to take a look inward, each of us, right? Because we all have our own biases. And, um, you know, first sort of acknowledging in healthcare that we have them, and then sort of working on diagnosing and treating those biases, whether it's at the individual um, sort of institutional or systemic level um, is really going to be an important way forward. And I think as you beautifully described, there are individuals, groups um, at all sorts of different levels that are beginning to not just have those conversations, but act um, on, uh, on, on sort of the next steps that need to be done. When I think about uh, topics and episodes and guests for the Visible Voices, I think about my buckets, healthcare, equity, and current trends. And this hits buckets of healthcare, equity, and of making voices visible. And so in, in that way, I feel that the documentary is about making voices visible and making people, women, Black women, and the Black women's experience in motherhood visible. I'm wondering if you can share the response you've had so far to other audiences, to the medical community, to the film community. In terms of response from the film community, Black Motherhood Through the Lens has been accepted to seven film festivals, uh, most recently the American Public Health Association Film Festival, and it received the 2021 Best Short Collective Award and also an award of merit from the Impact Docs um, Film Festival. The 2021 Best Short Collective Award was at the Rhode Island Black Film Festival. So that was exciting because the majority of the film was filmed in Rhode Island. So that was great. Um, and for me, I think it was really... I think it was really humbling because, again, as I said earlier, I did this a lot by myself. I don't really have a film background. It was a, truly a DIY. Um, and so to be able to be accepted into film festivals and even receive some awards was definitely not expected. So, yeah. Did you get any funding for it? Yes. Yeah, so I did this film as part of my Brown University scholarly concentration program um, because it provided a nice... Uh, format of mentorship, etc. cetera. Uh, my mentor, Dr. Teresa Schrader, has been truly invaluable to the process of the film. Uh, so I'm really grateful for her. And I actually applied for a couple of grants through Brown, uh, the Brown Arts Initiative, and then also through like their research initiative. And then I also received a grant from the Rhode Island Medical Women's Association. And part of it was also funded by some savings as well. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, what's next? 
That's a great question. Well, as of next week, I will be starting residency at UPenn. So that is exciting. Um, for me, I am really into health advocacy, health communications. I think that there is really room for communicating with the public about health issues in an accessible way. And so I want to continue to do that as a resident, as an attending physician. I see that as writing for lay media. Um, I actually was able to write a piece for the Washington Post this past February about postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. So I would love to continue that work. In terms of film and photography, I also plan to continue. There are some stories that I want to capture, uh, specifically people's experiences with sickle cell disease and also people's experiences with infant loss and stillbirth. That was something I wanted to be a part of Black Motherhood through the lens, but it didn't necessarily pan out. And so those are some of the things that I want to um, elevate in some way, shape or form. And I'm sure in the emergency department, you know, it really is a representation of what's going on in the, in the country, the town that you're in. And so I will continue to, I don't know, be witness to various stories that I wasn't even aware of. And I might want to decide to highlight that in one way, shape or form. Um, and then earlier I talked about women's health and emergency medicine specifically. So I'm interested in exploring that niche on a research level um, and an advocacy level as well. Yeah. Komal, when you and I connected about this episode and you joining as a subject matter expert, you had just attended a national conference and it basically complemented what we were going to be speaking about vis-a-vis -vis the documentary. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in, you're right. Um, you know, uh, my neurons were firing in all sorts of different ways. Um, one, watching the documentary and then also attending uh, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology annual meeting. Um, it's a professional society of about 70,000 uh, OBGYNs. Um, and, you know, so much of what we've discussed today, um, you know, really thinking about, um, you know, elevating voices that typically might not otherwise have been heard, dismantling structural barriers to care, thinking differently about, you know, some of these entrenched problems, because, you know, what we have been doing hasn't been working so well. Um, we're really sort of common themes uh, throughout the meeting. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, this documentary and also the national conversation um, really are aligning. And I, I have to say, Ade, I love what you said about the the, the emergency department being sort of a microcosm of the universe. Um, and, you know, as we're sort of thinking differently about how do we address um, you know, care for birthing persons, there has been a lot of attention placed, um, and certainly at this meeting as well, about how do we work with our, you know, ED colleagues uh, to elevate care? Because as we know, so many people visit the emergency settings when they have uh, these sorts of conditions. How did you gain the trust of these women uh, to get them to share their story? You know, that psychological safety that was so clear. Thank you for that question. I get that question a lot uh, because, again, a lot of these stories that were focused on uh, were very intimate, very personal and very triggering. 
um, and traumatic for folks. I think for me going into it, I set up, you know, meetings in advance before filming and all of that to just chat, just to get to know one another, um, stress that, you know, this is completely voluntary. If there's anything that you don't want shared, I will not share it. And just really giving folks the agency um, about their stories. Because oftentimes in these systems, we're not given the agency to own our own stories or own our experiences. So for me, it was really important to emphasize that in the process. I would say it also helped that I was a one-person show. So it's not like I had a huge crew, you know, which can be very um, intimidating. And I would say my identity as a Black woman also helped um, because there's just that shared experience and that shared understanding um, but again, I, you know, hope that I created those elements of trust in the relationship, but also the women in the film really had to take that chance with me, you know, and make that sacrifice because they didn't necessarily know how this was going to turn out. They didn't know who was going to watch this, where this would be shown. Right. But they made the conscious decision that they were comfortable enough opening up uh, for the sake of the greater good, um, which, again, I'm forever grateful for. Yeah. You both know that uh, the title of the podcast is The Visible Voices. And I ask, when did you first realize you had a voice? And when did you start using that voice? Because both of you have a voice um, used through different media. Come uh, on, you go first, then Ade. You know, it's it's often interesting. I, 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 uh, Risa, that's such a lovely question. Because, you know, when you look through the retrospectoscope, it's, it's sometimes... Uh, hard to sort of pinpoint a moment. Um, but I remember uh, even as an undergrad thinking, wow, why do things have to be this way? Um, and I think even just being able to ask that question, um, and then certainly as I went into medical school and then residency, you know, just sort of coming back to, well, let's, let's, look at this. Let's re-examine a different way. Look under the hood. You know, why do things have to be this way? I think has been a common theme for me. And so now, you know, as a, as a um, healthcare improver um, and leader in New York City, I will often think about, you know, why do things have to be this way? Yeah. And when did you start using your voice, speaking, writing, you know, leading at, at a larger than faculty level? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. You know, Ade, you mentioned so beautifully, um, you know, this idea of building agency. I, I think that I um, have always been inherently, I think, agency building without even sometimes realizing that I was. And so I think the start of my voice was sort of generating local movements. I didn't have a title. I may not even have had a role, um, but sort of, you know, promoting and building agency in others, I think was really the first way that I felt like I was using my voice. All right, Ada, you've had a lot of time to think about this one. When did you realize you had a voice? Uh, it happened at least in high school based on the film you were making. And when did you really feel, okay, I'm going to start using my voice? For me, that 
happened around my junior or senior year of high school. So earlier I had mentioned that I went to boarding school in a small town in Massachusetts. It was very white. And, you know, I grew up a very shy child and going to boarding school and just being a black woman specifically was really challenging growing up in that area. I didn't necessarily feel listened to or respected at all. But I remember uh, my junior or senior year, there was some situation that happened and I actually spoke up about it because I just felt like something that happened wasn't fair. And afterwards, people, you know, commented, oh, I'm really happy that you um, took the leap and, you know, gave your thoughts because that I was thinking the same thing, but I was too scared to speak up. And so after that experience, I was like, okay, like I do have a voice. People do listen to me. Um, and I have valuable things to share as does everybody else. And so in college, I used that voice more so in leadership positions. I was involved with the black student union on the executive board for four years. I was a co-president my senior year. So we did a lot of decision-making and advocating for Black students on campus, for example, bringing them to conferences, et cetera, and speaking to the provost and the office of the president being like, we need these resources for Black students. And so that work kind of continued on in medical school, being involved with the Student National Medical Association, SNMA. Um, so that's more so for the leadership and advocacy piece. And then in terms of, you know, the film and photography piece, again, in high school, I started that documentary, which again, showed me that, you know, I do have this interest in health advocacy. And so in medical school, especially during my third and fourth year, you know, I started to get invited to speak at different schools and colleges and, you know, received good response from that. So I would say it all started in high school and then medical school, it really um, came to fruition. Who have been your influences in documentary filmmaking? For me, I would say that I don't have too many people in the film space that I've, you know, interacted with or looked to because, again, this was very much DIY, a lot of YouTube and university. There are some Black filmmakers that I do look up to. One of them, uh, his name is Akinola Davies. I met him at actually a music festival. And his film won at Sundance, not this year, but the year past, and he's Nigerian. And so he was really inspirational to me. Again, we are in different genres, but he's really inspirational to me because, again, um, in different cultures, especially like Nigerian cultures, doing the arts isn't necessarily looked to as like what parents want their kids to do. So to see him really excelling in that area was awesome. In terms of health advocacy um, inspirations, I'd be remiss not to mention a couple of folks, uh, Dr. Uche Blackstock and Dr. Darian Sutton Ramsey. They're actually both EM physicians and they do a lot of health communications work. Um, and advocacy work, um, and they're people I look up to and hope to be like in the future. I love this conversation, and I really want to amplify the importance of the film and the importance of the topic. Before we get to the Risa wrap-up, here's a word about the podcast, The Nocturnists. Hey there, Visible Voices listeners. I'm Emily Silverman, a doctor in San Francisco and creator and host of The Nocturnists, a medical storytelling live show and podcast where healthcare workers share stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, the Risa wrap-up. Well, deep thanks and gratitude to Komal and Ade for joining me to discuss, number one, the film, but number two, the importance of Black motherhood and health. 
The film is worth a watch and look in the show notes for the link. Um, It's won awards. I think it's going to continue to win awards. And more importantly, this should open all of us, our eyes, ears, nose, throat to the importance of changing healthcare so that disparities are addressed and everybody gets the same standard and quality of care. That's it for this week. See you next. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare equity and current trends. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. You can listen on whatever platform you subscribe to podcasts. Our team includes Stacey Gitlin and Dr. Giuliano DePorto. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact me, Risa at thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. I'm based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm on Twitter at Risa E. Lewis. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, to be continued.